Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Two Drunk Fans. Has anything happened today in the soccer world, Gab? Well, first, what are you drinking? Because I feel like we might need it today more than others. I am drinking water because I'm still dry. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna keep it going a little bit longer. I, I'm going to have a fruit smoothie here in a little bit, but uh, I'm running late, so we're late to record this. So in the effort of time, we're going the smoothie and just drinking water. What are you enjoying? I have not been able to drink because I haven't stopped processing soccer news like for the past five, seven hours. What have you been processing for the last five or seven hours? It's not it's not like we got the schedule today. No, we didn't it's... get we didn't get a schedule today. <laughs> well, there was no schedule to today. I At first, I thought today's big fun news item was going to be Abby Wambach got made into a Barbie doll by Mattel. Right. And we could talk about, you know, the coolness of seeing someone who isn't necessarily super feminine or traditionally feminine and is openly gay made into a Barbie doll. And it was this big to-do. It wasn't quietly done. I thought that would be super cool to talk about. But. But. (laughs) (laughs) At friggin' 6.30 on a Wednesday evening Andrew Doss from the New York Times decides he's just going to blow everyone's lives out of the water for the next few hours. By everyone, I mean people who write about women's soccer. So the three of you. There's like seven of us. (laughs) Well, eight if you count the illegitimate writer person. There's actually quite a few people who, you know, the the deeper I go, the more people I see writing women's soccer. And you you start to appreciate it's a a pretty nice, tight-knit community where... If you play nice and you ask for help and you're polite, people are always more than willing to go out on a limb for you. It's actually really, really nice. Um, And what if you don't? If you don't, then you can eat my butt. What if you're into that and that's (laughs) not a threat? If you're into that, I'll just have to make it, you know, an unpleasant experience. I have a delicate tummy. I can do that. Anyway... (laughs) We've talked about poop like three episodes in a row now. We gotta stop. Anyway, it's the off season. Shit goes down in the off season. <laughs> anyway, New York Times breaks a story that U.S. soccer has filed a lawsuit in federal court in Chicago. They are suing the Women's National Team's Player Association, their union, because they want the court to declare that they have a valid CBA in place, a collective bargaining agreement. And part of the collective bargaining agreement is a no-strike clause. This is what people think is the primary sticking point that caused U.S. soccer to kind of go to the court and be like, hey, guys, we need you to step in here and back us up. Because as we remember, the the women's national teams already come perilously close to an, an all-out strike. In Hawaii, they decided to boycott the game for quote-unquote reasons of player safety. But now, if they have no collective bargaining agreement, which governs what they can and can't do as employers and employees... They can just go on strike without any consequence to themselves, leverage that for all it's worth against U.S. soccer, maybe get them over a barrel, and then put in place a new CBA that is just wildly disproportionate to, you know, whatever U.S. soccer is willing to give them. So we see strikes in sports all the time, most notably like pro sports, like the NBA or the NFL NHL referees or... You know, all of those, all of those different arenas. And what would be really interesting about this strike is the timing of it. Um, they just won the World Cup. The Olympics are coming up. The NWSL season's coming up. And they have a lot of leverage, as well as the marketability of this team. You know, I, I don't know if it's ever been higher. I mean, you've got Carly Lloyd doing Comcast commercials, for God's sake. Abby Wambach's had a Barbie made out of her. Like, Kristen Press is the face of Coppertone. They are a wildly marketable bunch at the moment. And as we saw after Hawaii, there is this huge outpouring of public anti-U.S. soccer sentiment. Maybe not if you're from Honolulu, but (laughs) in general, people were like, wow, U.S. soccer really does treat the team kind of crappily. Maybe, you know, we should get on board with this whole gender equality thing. Which is interesting because I'm pretty sure you could probably go back to our first episode and we talk about the inequality in women's sports. 
And we talk about, you know, this, this isn't a new issue. Like the, the, the CBA or the MOU, uh, which, what does that stand for again? It stands for Memorandum of Understanding. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So whatever they have right now that is expiring or that they forecast to expire, and you'll, you'll get into the particulars of all that. This is all in place because in 2012, if we jump in the time machine and we go back to the start of the NWSL season, there was actually worried that the U.S. players weren't actually going to play. The allocated players weren't actually going to play on their NWSL teams because the CBA was expiring and they, the players union couldn't come to terms with what the updates should be. We're still in 2012, Mr. Peabody. And instead of negotiating a new CBA, because things are up in the air, I guess, they decide to sign this memorandum of understanding, which says we'll just abide by the terms of the old CBA as it was in 2012 for a period of four years, which would have been the period a new CBA covered. And that's supposed to expire at the end of the year 2016. What happens only in February, right? Yeah, we're only in February, unless I'm more prone to losing track of the days than I thought. Our time machine might have busted because we just went to 2012. Yeah. And fast forward to 2014, this new guy takes over the Women's National Team Player Association as their new executive director, Richard Nichols. And good old Rich, I guess, starts whispering in players' ears going, you know what, you guys maybe deserve more and we could wiggle out of this memorandum of understanding. Who knows? So... Fast forward a little bit more, and in recent months, it seems like Nichols has been emailing U.S. soccer. Now, these emails are included with the uh, the court filing, which you can get your hands on um, through public records. I think you just have to pay like $3 and register online for them. But in the emails, he essentially says, oh, hey, you know that memorandum of understanding? That's not actually CBA. The CBA itself expired in 2012, and since then, we haven't really had a collective bargaining agreement. This MOU doesn't mean shit, and I can terminate it at will uh, if I want, and that's what I'm doing. So you guys have 60 days from now. This was in late December, and the deadline was February 24th, uh, a couple weeks from now. And he said, you guys got have 60 days to see if we can come to a new agreement. They go back and forth for a while, and the emails actually get more and more hilarious because lawyers, they tend to stay meticulously polite, like, on the surface level, but the more you read it, like, the the snippier they get. It's just... Give me an example. It's the most passive-aggressive... I just really enjoyed reading it, and I'm super glad I'm not a lawyer. So here's one example. Um, The U.S. soccer lawyer, Lisa Levine, Levine, Uh, responds to an email from Mr. Nichols saying, in your response, you make no mention of whether you have reviewed the negotiating history in the file maintained by your predecessor or whether you have spoken with John Langle and his colleague who actually negotiated the agreement. Given your position, we can only assume that you have not yet done so and therefore once again request that you do so promptly. It sounds like they should be writing these with like feather tip... (laughs) pens you know and like very aggressively with like their hand motions yeah the the feather quill like bobbing up and down yeah yeah with like big swoops at the end and then in another one (laughs) from lisa um uh in mid-january she was like rich thank you for your note let's plan on meeting on february 3rd we are fully cognizant of the legal issues and are quite familiar with the cases you cite neither of which have any application to the facts here. That was such a... Yeah, thanks for the info. It was useless. Yeah, like, um, yeah, we took that at the 100 level class. (laughs) It doesn't actually apply here at all. Yeah. So after reading reading just the emails, how do you feel? Well, I've read the emails and, like, the the complaint that U.S. Soccer filed, and uh, I've gone through some of the CBAs from 2000 until now, and I've got to say I'm leaning U.S. Soccer on this one. Yeah? Yeah. There's also a lot of lawyers and ex-lawyers in the soccer writing game, and we've all kind of just been pooling our what's going on here thoughts, and it seems like... They really can't claim that the MOU is quote-unquote terminable at will. Because 
what the court needs to do is look at that MOU. Like, forget that it's called a memorandum of agreement and not a CBA. Just forget that. Look at the actual body of the document and see if it has all the elements required for a contract. If it does, if the parties at the time that they made the MOU, it seemed like they intended to be bound by this as a contract, they can't later on go, oh, no, 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 no. We didn't mean for this to be a contract. It's not a contract. Well, there's more to it than that, but the court's going to look at that. Yeah, I, I, I really am leaning U.S. soccer on this one right now. Why would the players sign the MOU? Well, they had a different lawyer at the time. Right, so why would this lawyer say, yeah, let's just continue this and keep it going? You know, you, you just want to play soccer, and you're getting decently compensated at the time. It looks like um, when they signed the memorandum, carrying over from 2012, there were three tiers, essentially, of national team salaries. Tier 3, you got paid 36000 Tier 2, you got paid 51000 And Tier 1, you got paid 72000 a year. And that's not including what you got paid through NWSL. So, so that's something that's a little confusing to me. I thought U.S. soccer was paying their NWSL salaries. Well, that's what I thought too. But there's two different sections here. There's WNT salaries. And then they also have a section that says salary if there is no league. And if there's no league, then your salary increases because it seems like it's compensating for something. So we still don't know what you what the national team players, what allocated players are being paid by the league. I don't think that we do. Interesting. Yeah. Because I was I was really blown away that it was only seventy two thousand dollars. You know what might be happening is that increase is accounting for things like housing and transport, right? And training facilities. Because if you have no league, then you're probably paying out of pocket when you're not in camp to go train privately, you know, to rent a place to deal with a car. And some teams, part of your compensation might be housing, transpo, maybe a little food allowance, that sort of thing. I, I wouldn't budget that under people costs, though. I would budget that. Like, I wouldn't budget that as a salary. I would budget that as an expense. I don't know, dude. I don't know how to explain how uh, salaries for tier one are seventy-two grand, but if there's no league, the tier one salary is a hundred and one grand. So that thirty-nine thousand dollar difference, if there is no league, seems to be making up for something to do with NWSL, and it's probably located somewhere in the contract that I haven't read yet because my brain is fried, <laughs> and the whole filing is two hundred and seventeen pages long. I find it interesting that. A, salary amounts got out there because we've always wondered. And Mm -hmm. we've known about the tiered system ever since the, God, what year was the last CBA created? 2008? uh, 2005, actually, because it was meant to go through 2012. I noticed that. But, they signed up for a seven-year well, contract? But it had um some little divisions within. It looks like... Uh, there was a 2005 to 2008 section and a 2009 to 2012 section mm. with some pretty big jumps in money in in each little three or four year burst. And so I, I think I think it's really interesting that now we we have a better idea of what some of these scales look like. And to get back to the reason why U- U.S. soccer is actually suing is because at some point the Players had representation that said, let's just, let's just maintain the status quo so that we can get NWSL off the, the ground. We, it's in the year of the Olympics. You know, there, there was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, no, it wasn't in the year of the Olympics. It was, after it was the in Olympics. 2013, right? Uh-huh. But, I mean, things probably were still hectic. But the memorandum was 2012 anyway, or it was supposed to take right. place after 2012. They had the Olympics. Mm -hmm. They are in a position where they're facing this new league. Somebody just says, let's just, let's just keep going with what we've got. And you also have to look at who was at the helm of the women's national team at that point. It was a bunch of veterans. Mm -hmm. And we know about the tiered system. We also know that there were bonuses based on the amount of time that you were on the team. It seems like to me, part of this has resulted from the new executive director Richard Nichols maybe convincing the team, hey, now is the time. Because I don't believe that 
this stuff just cropped up now. He's been emailing for months, and it feels like all of this has been ready to go since before Hawaii. Hawaii was just a straw that broke their back. Maybe. Maybe Hawaii was a turning point. Like, if Hawaii hadn't happened, they might have been content to try and keep negotiating, like, under their, off the radar. Or maybe something else later would have happened that made them, you know, pop off anyway. Because it seems like without Hawaii to really make things turn, U.S. soccer would have continued to be like, uh, I guess we can kind of sort of get away with maybe not treating you guys totally right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think without Hawaii, maybe the team would have pushed pretty hard regardless. It would have taken longer, though. And it may not have taken the form of such a like singular punching outcry. I mean, they just fucking won the World Cup. They a... just got a ticker tape parade down in downtown New York City. Yep. They got fucking congratulated by President Obama himself. Called a bunch of badasses. Mm-hmm. You know, they they are superstars now. And they are marketable and everybody knows exactly what their value is. And so at some point, they're also looking at this agreement saying, to, to your point, they're looking at the field conditions and saying, nope, we're not going to put ourselves through this in Hawaii. So here's the two things that U.S. soccer is essentially asking for. One, they want the court to say the CBA is valid because that means no strike clauses in effect. And the women's national team's bargaining position is not severely diminished, but it's certainly not, hey, you know, all these friendlies that you had planned. Remember the Olympics? What if that didn't happen? And then second, they're saying, if you rule for us, we would maybe like some monetary damages for this anticipatory breach. An anticipatory breach, it's what it sounds like. It means in anticipation or before completing a contract, one of the parties goes, hey, I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to perform according to the terms of the contract. So they're going to ask for possibly monetary damages. But if the women's team gets the ruling and they can go on strike then they have U.S. soccer over such a huge barrel because they, if they drop out of the Olympics, not only are they out, but U.S. soccer has to name a squad pretty far in advance. And if they can't name a replacement squad in time then and they have to withdraw from the Olympics, it's not just embarrassing, but FIFA could find them and they could ban all U.S. national, not just the women's team, men's, women's, and youth teams from future FIFA competitions. So, are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is a possible consequence of withdrawing from the Olympics, right? Wow. So it could get dire. That's the bargaining power that the the women's national team would have if they won this suit. It's not just we're going to strike over the She Believes tournament and maybe force you guys to have to take a, a, like a U23 roster to the Olympics. It could have some far-reaching consequences. But once again, I don't necessarily think that women's team is in the strongest position here. Wouldn't it be funny if UF soccer was just like, okay, we're going to take our U23s? That would be interesting. We're going to lead the way. Uh, you know, we do it for the men. Why not do it for the women? If UF soccer was like, fuck it, now's the time for change. We're going right. to bring a youth roster. <laughs> right? We're, we're, we're going to lead the way and make this a youth uh, competition. Steve Swanson, Michelle French, whoever, just why don't you take these kids... Take them to Rio, have a good time. Have a great time down in Rio. Avoid the mosquitoes. Oh my god, could you imagine? That would be my play if I were U.S. soccer. I would be like, oh, you guys don't want to go and try to win back-to-back Olympics? <laughs> okay. The problem is, I think it, the optics on that still don't necessarily work out in their favor. Because A, what if that U23 team loses, as it almost certainly will against full national teams from other countries like England, France, Germany, what have you, maybe even Sweden, probably not. Um, and second, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Sweden. Wow, and then burn. second, everyone's going to see that and go, what happened? Oh, remember this whole fight between U.S. soccer and the women's national team? U.S. soccer was willing to basically go scorched earth on the Olympics rather than pay the women's national team more. The women know that they're... F- by framing this as a gender equality debate, the optics are all on their side. And quite frankly, they should be. But that doesn't Abs- mean that I think they should automatically win this suit. 
Right, absolutely. Like, like the optics should be on their side, and and we all know that U.S. soccer has been treating them poorly. It's just a case of maybe not the right time or the right place. But let's say, okay, so let's fast forward and let's say that the suit does this. This suit is successful, and they the courts recognize that the MOU is the C- same as the CBA. And let's say that we get to December. How bad does this shoot the team in the foot with regards to the new CBA? So if it comes to December and the CBA is ending, then the national team is in the same position that they want to be in now, which is if the CBA is over and they haven't renegotiated a new one, they're free to go on strike. The only problem is... It's not a World Cup year. It's not an Olympic year. You're in that weird two-year down period. So they don't have nearly as much leverage by going on strike as they do right now, right? If they if they go on strike in, in the beginning of 2017 and U.S. soccer has to cancel, I don't know, maybe a couple of friendlies, maybe the Algarve. No, the She Believes. Oh, the new annual She Believes con- uh, tournament? <laughs> It, it just... You can't even say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when I say it now, all I think of is that somebody made a graphic of a Shiba Inu wearing a big pile of leaves. Yes. The Shiba, yes. That's all I think of now. Cause it's Shiba, Shiba, Shiba leaves. The Shiba leaves tournament, which is so much better to think about. Right. It's not going to be nearly as bad as players going, hey, we're not going to participate in friendlies leading up to the Olympics or even the Olympics. There's just not as much leverage. Right. No, no, no. I I completely agree on that point. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking as players who have threatened a strike already, Uh when you get to December, what does that do for your leverage? I think you quietly leak to the press that U.S. soccer is now not negotiating with you in good faith over retaliation for the whole labor dispute that you had, you know, eight or nine months ago. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to know who's advising the team because this is coming very soon, very quickly on the heels of the whole turf issue. Their new lawyer, Richard Nichols. I think the turf is I all know, part I of don't this. like the guy. <laughs> it's it's all part it's all wrapped up in the same thing. The the turf, the money, everything. It's all tied up in this long burning kind of stewing resentment that's been building over the years towards US soccer. I want to I want to know more about this guy. I think he's a Dallas-based attorney. I'm not sure though. I want to know like who's he the uncle of. <laughs> I'll let you run with that idea. <laughs> uh, how many degrees of separation between him and Hope Solo? I don't know, but uh I will say that in the emails back and forth between him and Lisa Levine Levine, the U.S. soccer attorney, there were five players who were CC'd on this. They were Becky Sauerbrunn, Hope Solo, Megan Rapino, Carly Lloyd, and Alex Morgan. So it seems like those five players, at least, unless someone was, you know, BCC'd or whatever that we didn't see in the emails, those five are responsible for being the team's contact point when it comes to this Players Association stuff. So the two captains... Yep. Megan Rapino, who is now out injured. Megan Rapino could be the face of this thing. Uh-huh. Especially because of what happened in Hawaii. Yep. And how the the practice fields were not up to par. And you got Alex Hope. Morgan. Alex Morgan. Who just has the visibility of that anyone could ask for. Mm-hmm. And Hope Solo, who I have to imagine she just sticks to her guns. Yeah, I can very easily see her being like the most stubborn, bullheaded, like, this is what we asked for, and I'm not going to back down until we get it player on that team. Right, and then Carly is like quietly talking her down, being like, <laughs> no hope, it'll actually be okay, we should actually like consider this, and what the whole time Becky's like, in Excel spreadsheets, like figuring out what's what's the return uh, if they invest in this particular mutual fund or whatever. Well, you know, they do have a, a player pool bank account. I did not know that. Yeah, they have um, one bank account. So when they want to make payments into a player pool, um, as far as I can see, they do have 
a, a player pool bank account that the Federation will pay into for that sort of stuff. Really? That's interesting. I think that might make it logistically, right? You you have, say, this like $1.5 million bonus you need to give to the players. Well, you pay it into the player pool account. And then from that point on, it's like the players association's responsibility to distribute it among the team. Right. And that might be the area where tenure really comes into play. Mm. Right? Yeah. Right? Do you want to hear about some more money stuff? Yes. I would love to hear more money stuff. People have been trying to get their hands on the CBA in some form or another for years. Years. Right? And now in one fell swoop, we have like every CBA detail all the way back to the year 2000. There's going to be so much analysis on the CBA by the Mm -hmm. time it's all said and done. So here's some basics. Uh, You might have caught some of these on Twitter, but from 2000 to it looks like 2008, if you made a World Cup or an Olympic roster, just for getting on the roster, you got a $10,000 bonus. Boom! And this is where the player pool stuff comes in because it looks like there's two separate levels going on here eventually. One is... There's a player pool bonus for meddling or, you know, placing in a World Cup. And then at some point, they add on that you get individual player bonuses as well. So in 2000, um, uh, for winning gold in the 2000 Olympics, the bonus was $700,000 played into the player pool. I think we knew that. Or we knew what the math turned out to. Yeah, I think a lot of the player pool stuff we ended up knowing about, that works out to if it gets spread out evenly... 38,800 some per player in 2000, which is real money. Sure. Divided up among an 18 player roster. If you live frugally, that's a year's salary. Yeah. Even if you live frugally. And then in 2003 for the World Cup, if they won, they got a 720,000 pool player bonus. Plus, there was going to be a guaranteed 10 match victory tour for winning Mm -hmm. the 2003 World Cup, which of course didn't happen. And then in 2004, the Olympic year, the gold medal bonus was 720,000 again. And then it looks like, cause that's where the last, that's where the CBA ends. It was 2000, 2004. And you can see that there's a jump for the next CBA negotiation, which spans 2005 to 2008, because for gold or for first place in the Olympics or the world cup, there's a $50,000 per player bonus and a 1.2 million pool bonus. That's a pretty nice jump, right? 700000 yeah. to $1.2 million? Yeah, it's half a million dollars. Yeah. And then for 2009 to 2012, they didn't do it by money. They just said it'll be a 20% increase over what we negotiated for 09 through, uh, no, for 05 through 08, which is still a nice jump, 20%. Yeah, it's nothing, nothing to sneeze at. Well, and it's nothing to get too riled up over, but at, at the end of the day, I mean, it, we're still not talking men's national team numbers. Oh, that's true. I think what's happening here is I'm going, well, compared to an NWSL salary, but yeah, it's like, but you shouldn't be comparing it to, to the men's salary. Yeah. You shouldn't be comparing it to the shitty salary. You should be comparing it to the good salary. Yes. You yeah. should be comparing it to the actual bar that is being set. Yeah. So there's a lot of money figures in there that'll slowly come out over the days to come. I'm sure somebody will set it all up in a nice little grid to show you how women's players' payments have increased over the years. Maybe it'll be me. Maybe it'll be you. Maybe it'll be a nice little infographic that you can post on our website. Yeah, it'll be a copy-paste of my Excel spreadsheet. I would love that. Yeah. So you can see that on money terms, the national team has been progressing in in chunks from cba to cba and you can see how they would reasonably expect that if they could get enough leverage their next cba would be baller in terms of money right like a two million dollar bonus for winning maybe or i would love to see a five billion dollar bonus yeah comparable to the what's the men's bonus for winning no, God, their bonus, their bonus for getting into the knockout rounds was like thirteen million. No, it wasn't like four million for getting no. the knockout. So, in twenty fourteen, for the men's team, if you made the final World Cup squad, you got. Keep in mind, the men have a completely different CBA structure than the women do. Yeah, it looks like you got a fifty five thousand dollar bonus for earning a spot in the final 23 and then you got 
5500 per game for being on the roster for group stage. So that's three group stage games. So it's 70. If you if you're starting with 55, 55 and then oh, you yeah, 15. You're right. So it's a little over 70 compared to a 10 grand roster bonus before right. that. Yeah. And then oh, apparently when the US men reached the quarterfinals in 2002, every player received $203,000 for quarters. And that was 2002 money. So Right. So I definitely sympathize with the women's team for wanting to come into this with as strong a negotiating position as possible. But on the other hand, what we've seen the CBA until now has also given certain veteran players an unprecedented amount of power in their ability to stay with the team and make the highest possible wage. And my worry is that a players association going into a CBA negotiation with that kind of power might make a CBA that is even more hard to deal with in terms of cycling in new players. Which is interesting. Like I, I, I find the structure very interesting in the sense that when we're thinking about what Jill is actually trying to do with the new squad, and what some of Jill's objectives actually are, which because because I think that's that's the other thing for us to talk about is qualifying and youth and holy fucking cow, where has this Jill Ellis been? A lot with of players some of her took it out of her hands. A lot of things took decisions out of her hands for her, just like in the World Cup with the the cards for Pino and Cheney. Uh, Pino's injured. Rampone's on the verge of retirement. Abby's retiring. Cheney retired. A Rod's pregnant. Sydney's pregnant. Like, that's a a huge chunk of the usual roster to just kind of take decisions out of Jill's hands. Now, to be fair, some some of the NWSL players, I think that Jill probably called up in good faith without thinking about all the problems that she has on her old roster. So, you know, players like Jaylene Hinkle and stuff like that, I, I think that is Jill actually trying to be a little more creative for once with her roster. I completely agree. And so to me, it's it becomes an issue. And also, also, the other thing to keep in mind is things are so different now with the NWSL players knowing that it's not a living wage in the league. Mm-hmm. Is there an opportunity for the national team to really step up and say, okay, well, we've got to start. We've got to close that gap between tier three and tier one. Not only do we have to elevate tier one, but we have to elevate all of them. And we need to make it a position where we don't have a a player pool of 30 players. We have a player pool of 40 or 45 players or however many players are on the men's side. Because then now you're supplementing even more salaries in the NWSL in theory. I don't I don't know if if it's if it's a whole lot more. But I mean, even if you get a call up to a camp and you are a tier three player, that's going to significantly increase your annual er earnings. Well, here's the thing. Uh, For 2013 through 2016, the pool is essentially 24 players because that's the number of players that are included in the CBA that you have to rank tier one, tier two, tier three. So the national team has to have 18 tier ones, two tier twos, and four tier threes for a total of 24, whether there's a league or no league. 24 players instead of, you know, supporting 30 or 40 players. That's ridiculous. And outside of that, if you get called in, you're what's known as a floater. And I, it looks like floaters get 500 a week. That's ridiculous. Uh. That blows my mind right there. That is the most important thing that you have said all evening. Floaters get 500 a week. And I believe that's while they're in camp because they're floaters. If, that's not a salary. That's just, hey, you come into camp, we'll give you 500 And for, let's see, matches, their first three matches, they get paid 1350 a match. And then if they make it to their fourth match, that jumps to 4050 But So you can see actually how it, it's actually more beneficial with new kids to rotate a bunch of them in cost-wise and say, oh, you get one or two matches here or there. You get one or two matches here or there. But we're all going to keep you below this four-match 
jump where you suddenly go from making, you know, 1300 a game to 4000 a game. That's the stat I want to know. How many players are out there that are at three matches? Mm-hmm. And then suddenly maybe come to camp but don't make a roster. Right. Or how many players come to camp and never make a roster? Mm-hmm. Dude. <laughs> okay, well, speaking of rosters, because I think we've milked a lot of the money stuff without going into, you know, just basically reading off a spreadsheet. Yeah, nobody wants to hear you do that. Women's Olympic qualifying, CONCACAF, the, CONCACAF. all the CBA stuff is not going to affect that because the deadline is February 24th, which is three days after the final. And anyway, the Players Association lawyer has said, no, it's not going to affect Olympic qualifying. We got our qualifying roster. We got our group. United States is in a group with Costa Rica, Mexico, and Puerto Rico. Which, surprisingly, Costa Rica is going to be the most intense competition, in my opinion. I think so, too, actually. Which which is quite the shift in CONCACAF. You're right, because for so long it was just USA, Canada, and Mexico, but Costa Rica is really making a run for it. Which Costa Rica is coming for it. It's nice to see, right? Yeah, totally. Even and, you know, now we've got some Costa Rican players in the NWSL. We're, we're really... I, I don't know. I'm, I support them. I know that they're in our group and everything, but I'd love to see them at the Olympics. Me too. Unfortunately, it's what, two births from CONCACAF for the Olympics? I think so. Yeah. And it's likely to be it's, USA and Canada? Well, I mean... Barring any cock-ups? It, yeah, it, it depends what squad Herdman, you know, is able to motivate that day. <laughs> Yeah, he has, he has kind of had some spotty results there in the, you know, sometimes their 2012 Olympics and then sometimes their 2015 World Cup. United States, Costa Rica, Mexico, Puerto Rico starts February 10th. Um, I think NBC Live Extra is going to be streaming every game, not just the United States games. So that's good news. Very good. It would be, I mean, it's one of those things where, yeah, it'd be nice to have a TV deal, but that's all a CONCACAF issue. That's that's not a U.S. soccer. Like, we can be mad at U.S. soccer for so much right now, mm -hmm. but not streaming the game is not one of them. So let's just break down the roster by position. Goalkeepers. Ashlyn, Alyssa Nair, Hope Solo. Oh, man. I feel like we've got to really see what Nair and, and Harris can do. Um, I really hope that they get some minutes at the uh, qualifiers, but my, my money is on, on Harris. Yeah, uh, I would lean Harris based on evidence, but my heart is screaming for Alyssa Nair to make this I know roster. it is. <laughs> but you know she's not a breaker, right? Shut the fuck up! Are you, are you aware that the breakers traded her? <sighs> did, did, you, did you get that memo? She still hasn't played a game for another NWSL club yet, so I'm just, oh. I'm just trying to put off having to think about that for another few. Just let me have this for another couple of months, okay? Oh, I will, I will, I will let you have it. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, defenders. Oh boy. Jaylene Hinkle, Julie Johnston, Megan Klingenberg, Allie Krieger, Kelly O'Hara, Becky Sauerbrunn, Emily Sonnet. All of them. I think she takes all but Hinkle. Mm, yeah, I could see Hinkle being one of the alternates. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, this is a 20-player roster, so she only has to cut two. So she could take all defenders and cut a midfielder or a forward. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, I guess, yeah, if you if you get an injury and need to call in an alternate, it's easier to replace an attacker than it is a defender, maybe? Well, and I also think that if you get an injury and, like, a lot of those defenders could be midfielders or could actually be attackers. You're right. There's there's versatility in that back line. Yeah. I think I think our back line is the most versatile of, of any of them. Mm-hmm. That, that weighs into my opinion. Okay, midfielders then. Morgan Bryan, Tobin Heath, Lindsey Horan, Carly Lloyd, Sam Mewis. Mewis and Horan get left behind well we've already cut one goalkeeper so we're at 19 we only need to cut one more oh really yeah it's an 18 player okay. roster is i would say mewis probably i'd say so as well i think Lindsay horan i think they're they've gone far enough into integrating her with the squad 
that it's very likely that she's going to make the final one. Yeah, I I see her as being being almost that that targeted that targeted player in the midfield. I I just want to see her like how Carly plays with her mm-hmm. a little bit more because I think it's it's really good. Honestly, I think it's really going to come down to who plays best with Carly. Well, the thing is too. Look at the forwards: Crystal Dunn, Steph McCaffrey, Alex Morgan, Kristen Press, Mallory Pugh. Among those, Dunn and McCaffrey can all both function as midfielders, and Haran can function as a forward. So there's a lot yep. of shifting back and forth here, where you don't necessarily have to keep Haran back there with Carly Lloyd or Morgan Bryan. Yes. Among the forwards, Dunn, McCaffrey, Morgan, Press, Pugh. If one had to go, which one do you think it would be? Pugh. I'm not as sure. Because Jill Ellis is so up on Mallory Pugh, and if she does well during qualifiers, I could see her cutting McCaffrey as much as I don't want to say it. Sure, sure. I think I think it's going to be a goal, uh, goal fest at qualifiers, and um, I could see Jill just saying, okay, whoever scores the most... <laughs> Go. ...is in. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, that's what we have kind of struggled with um is unselfish or selfishness you know we we are very an unselfish squad despite how many hat tricks carly lloyd has (laughs) she does tend to like feed it off and we do get into positions especially when we're playing (sighs) high pressure matches uh we get in positions where nobody pulls the trigger yeah and, and I could see her looking at some of these players being like, prove to me that you're able to pull the trigger. Yeah, like uh, the last game Mal Pugh played, I think a lot of people noticed she was making this, she was like kind of slashing in on goal, but instead of taking the shot for herself, I think she tried to lay it off into the middle and it didn't work. And everyone was like, kid, you, that's a shot you can take. Don't worry about it. Yeah, go go ham. So we'll see. It, that The difference being with those friendlies, and these being qualifiers, players and qualifiers might be, okay, these are qualifiers, I need to shoot. I can't just be part of a team and and set up a bunch of goals or whatever. I need to shoot. Right. I think quals will come down to USA and Canada, but who knows? I mean, man, I'm go- I think I'm going to be pulling for Costa Rica a little bit, though. Could theoretically make it, because top two teams from each group move on to knockout, right? And they get mixed and matched again for the two semifinal games. Mm-hmm. And then the winners of the semifinals go on to the final, but obviously both teams from the final are going to go to the Olympics. Yes. Yes. Uh, runner up. I mean, group. I'm not not going for Canada. I want <laughs> I want everyone to play nice. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Canada is in a group with Guatemala, Trinidad and Tobago, and Guyana. So make of that what you will. Yeah. Trinidad and Tobago have their own problems at the moment. They are just a train wreck of problems. Randy Waldrum gave so much to that squad, and that squad gave so much in return, like, they deserve better. Right. Ugh. And then speaking of Canada, they also announced their qualifying roster. Um, so their three GKs are Air McLeod, Steph LeBay, and Sabrina D'Angelo, who American fans probably got more familiar with when she played for uh, the Western New York Flash. Um, I think clearly the top two GKs are going to be McLeod and LeBay, barring injury, and D'Angelo will be, will be their alternate, but... I think Sabrina D'Angelo is definitely the future of this squad. And when McLeod retires, D'Angelo will move into that number two spot. It's really odd to see these lists without KK. It kind of is. But Aaron McLeod's already 32. I know. And KK's what, 33 now? 34? I mean, uh, 34 maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's so up there God. a little bit higher. You got defenders. So we got good old Kadisha Buchanan. Rebecca Quinn, Shalina Zadorsky, Jose Belanger, Alicia Chapman, and Rianne Wilkinson. I love how you say her name. What? Rianne? No, the other one. Jose Belanger? Yes. That's how you say her name. I know, but I don't I can't say her name. <laughs> She's French Canadian. Okay. Um that's one, two, three, four, five, six defenders. I think they're all going. I'm probably. I'm kind of surprised Silsi Rian Wilkinson playing. It feels like she kind of tried to taper off her involvement with the team as a prelude to retiring. And then she's like, okay, the World Cup is in Canada. How am I going to pass up this opportunity to try to make a squad and play in a World Cup in my home country? So she came back. 
And she's a hard worker, there's no doubt. But she's 33, and she's not really... It costs her more and more every game to keep up with these young whippersnappers for 90 minutes. Damn. Yeah. I can't. I can't imagine. And she's a she's not a center back either. She's a wing. She's a wing player. She's a right back. So that means she's having to hoof it up and down, up and down. And I just don't think her body is really letting her get away with that anymore. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, the Olympics is a shorter tournament. And at some point, coaches kind of have to look at strategy of the whole thing, you know? I mean, something we didn't even take into account, Rampone. You know, we just looked at the qualifying roster and said, okay, this is going to be the team that goes. Uh-huh. But we didn't actually take into account, you know, is Rampone going to make come back? Oh, I don't know. What appeal could another Olympic gold medal have for her? I have no idea, but that woman is a maniac. <laughs> not, right? She seems like the kind of person who gets stir crazy without something. They all do, honestly. Right? Could you imagine being a pro athlete and just being like, uh, fuck, what am I supposed to do now? Just sitting at home watching TV. Like that Landon Donovan commercial where he got cut from the Brazil. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, where he's like hanging out in hotel rooms yeah. and stuff like that. I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not going Stop to it. Brazil. <laughs> um, you got midfielders. Uh, Jesse Fleming, Ashley Lawrence, D-Math, Deanne Rose, Sophie Schmidt, Desi Scott. Interestingly enough, Kaylin Kyle has been left out. There's always a chance huh. she could come back, but I think, like Jill Ellis, John Herdman looks at his group and says, well, why not bring a couple of kids along instead of my veteran midfielder, Heather O'Reilly? And give some of these kids some high-level experience. Dan Rose is 16 years old. 16. Hey, you know what? We've got a 17-year-old, so I'm not mm. I'm not too jealous. Jessie Fleming's also 17, and I think it's more likely she's going to make the squad because a lot of Canadians are hailing her as kind of the future of, of that squad. Um, if she can, right. If she can develop up her skills and keep progressing, I think they're right. She's very composed for a 17-year-old. But Diana Matheson's 31. This has got to be her last big tournament. Oh, totally. Especially after what she came back from. Fighting to get back she... for the, the World yeah. Cup. Yeah. Which is Megan Rapinoe's fight now. Although, well... d didn't have an ACL injury, right? It was like a foot something, I think. Oh, you're right. It was an ACL tear. Yes. My brain is Google. I think what happened is ACL tear, and then she picked up another injury right when she was about to finish her ACL rehab. It was some foot something or other. And we were all like, really? Really? What fresh hell is this? And then well, Herdman was like, okay, I won't play her at all in group. I'll count on us getting out of group and give her, you know, another week or two to heal and try to save her as much as I can for a big important game. And they did. Yeah. And she did. And unfortunately, it wasn't enough. But we saw we saw that. Yeah, we did see that. We, we were there in person, buddy. For the forwards, you've got Janine Becky. Gabrielle Carl, Nichelle Prince, Melissa Tancredi, and the Christine Sinclair. I think Sink is out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, Sink, who really has ever heard of her? She's just kind of a fringe player for the team. She's, you know, they keep her around maybe to help give the squad some experience, someone to help train with, but gosh, dead weight. Totally, totally. I mean, she's one of those veteran players that's like, she can be a leader, you know, when I, I hear she has a drinking problem. Oh, no. So that's a little bit of an issue. Maple syrup. She has trouble with maple syrup. She's so she's Canadian. Got, she, she's always hitting those trees, man. <laughs> direct from the trees, even. She's just D skipping the dealers. Direct from the source. Sneaking when on When it's real them. bad, she just has the IV. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, can you see Christine no. Sinclair sink, like, sneaking onto some maple syrup farm tapping a tree and like sticking her mouth underneath to get the fresh i, I could see her traveling with her own taps <laughs> her own custom maple syrup taps yeah they're yeah. like very efficient and just let the maple syrup like flow down that slide got some youngsters in here too gabrielle carl 17 years old michelle prince is 20 Janine Becky's 21. 
I think it would be interesting if they cut Melissa Tancredi. She's 34. Yeah. And I don't... She, she She's not producing for them anymore. She's not producing. I don't think she's got the legs either. I, I think womp that womp. she she tried to come back for the World Cup and her body just didn't let her. She took too long of a break. She's 34. You know, it's maybe it's time. And they've got... I mean, Janine Becky's looking pretty decent. Nichelle Prince could be a scorer for them. For God's sakes, if somebody, if somebody can click with Sync, and I don't think it's going to be Tank anymore. They've got a decent shot of, of you know, looking better than they did in the World Cup. Tank could always be the trainer. She could, Well, she's a chiropractor. She could always be the trainer. The team chiropractor. You know, every team needs one. So out of um, this roster... I could see them cutting D'Angelo and Tancredi. Totally. And that'll bring them down to 18. <sighs> well, that was quite a lot. Yeah, that was more than we planned on. No, yeah. Yeah, and uh, let us know in the comments what you think of the qualifying rosters and or the CBA situation. There's a lot to digest here, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot more in the days to come as everybody works their way through all 217 fucking pages. Right? Like, I want some infographics. Sure. I'll get I, right on that. I I want two-page summary and infographics. Por favor. Great. I wrote you, you the two-page summary. It's at uh, Stars and Stripes FC. Oh, well, I'll read it as soon as we're done recording here because I haven't had a chance to read anything since about 5.30. Oh, I haven't had a chance it's to eat. It's now 10 o'clock. I haven't had a chance to eat since about 5.30, so. Well... We should both get off the the phone here and and go live yeah. our lives. We got to go take care of ourselves before we take care of the podcast. Yeah, we do. We All do. Right. Self care is really important. Self care is important. Take care of yourselves too, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.